Well, I'll give you the five P's. Yep. Uh, one is understand your promise, mm -hmm. align your products, process, and people to that promise. Welcome to seven to eight, our special series on seven and eight figure speakers. In this interview series, some of the hottest speakers in the industry who've made over seven figures in a year or less will uncover their twists and turns in their adventures, helping you to avoid the potholes and stick to the fast track. Welcome now to center stage, our next guest speaker. Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Nedelec, and I am super glad that you're here with us today because I am here with my most amazing guest, Peter. Peter, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation, Michelle. Awesome. So am I. So give everybody the 5,000 foot view of who you are and the highlight of your business. Well, uh, a lifelong entrepreneur, Michelle, I spend most of my days these days helping other entrepreneurs uh, get through their trials and tribulations. I call it turning their frustrations into freedoms as a business coach. But um, in the past, pretty much I've only ever been a business owner. I worked for somebody else for about uh, six months or so and decided at that time, you know what, I think I'm going to go out on my own. And that was in 1994. You know, I don't have any hair left. So I've, <laughs> I've pulled out a lot of my hair over the years and had a lot of, a lot of problems and, and got through a lot of pain points, but live a pretty good life and love being an entrepreneur and, and have had, uh, all sorts of different businesses. You know, we've had um, um, some franchises. We've had a bathroom renovation company, a cleaning franchise. Uh, I've been a business broker helping people buy and sell businesses, which is how I um, came across a business that we still own, which is called Shootopia here in Ontario. We own a couple of shoe stores at shootopia.ca and uh, continue to run those for the last 12 years in alignment with uh, a lot of the stuff that I coach to, which is you know what, um, you own your business and it shouldn't own you and you should be able to uh, enjoy some of the freedoms and have and operate a turnkey business so that you can do some other things. So I wouldn't be here talking to you today if I didn't have sort of those businesses running on wheels and being able to kind of operate and make decisions and all that stuff, sort of stuff without me. So uh, that's where I, you know, over the last almost 30 years now, uh, it seems time goes by fast, doesn't it, Michelle? Right. <laughs> Like, really, did I get that much in there? That much in time? I know, yeah, I, I know, I know, <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, family man, businessman, uh, all that kind of stuff. And, and I just love talking to people about business. So uh, excited to be here. I love it. So, yes, I, we recently did some marketing and I realized I've done 28 occupational pivots in my life and going, you know, and you just, you get the bug and you got to follow it. So let's kind of back up the bus and go, when was the first time you had over a million in revenue? Uh, that probably would have been it's, it's quite a while ago now. Um, I'm going to think that that would have, I don't exactly know, but uh, yeah. early 2000s when okay. I had my um, sort of we had a, this bathroom renovation business, which is still in existence today. I'm, I'm, I'm proud to say, actually, almost 30 years later, but wow. called Surface Medic in Ottawa. And we did bath, bathtub liners and bathtub renovate, kind of like bath fitters and stuff like that. But we yeah. did bathtub refinishing. We sprayed all kinds of kitchens. You don't remember those Harvest Gold bathtubs and the avocado green bathtubs and <laughs> yeah. stuff like that. We'd go in, spray them all white, get them all looking nice and all that kind of stuff. We did about a thousand tubs a year. Wow. And 
uh, and then we, at the same time, I've almost always owned two businesses at a time, Michelle. So we took on uh, another franchise at the time, and that was a cleaning company. And at the time we took it over, it was really struggling. It only had about 30 clients and we grew it to 300 clients. And then we sold it in the Ottawa area and it was called Sani Service. And we worked with a lot of restaurant owners, a lot of retailers, a lot of different businesses. And uh, so it was somewhere in that midst of having those two. And when I pulled the two together to, you know, as my, as total sort of business under Peter, let's call it, um, you know, it was, it was definitely over a million bucks and it, that would have been maybe the early two thousands. Nice. So what, yeah. what kind of, were you planning on building a million dollar business from the get go or did mm. it just kind of happen? You happen to be really good at sales and la voila, <laughs> it all worked out. Yeah. Or that yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, as much as I coach to, you know, build with a plan at the time, I really didn't. <laughs> I, I was I was planning on growing Michelle. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. It's like I wanted to add multiple trucks. I wanted to add roots on the on the cleaning side of things. Like we were we were growing with intention. Like we want to build this. But was the magic number a million bucks? Not so much. It was really just you know I wanted to ten times the cleaning company. I wanted to add the next truck on the on the other business. So I had these other little metrics around what I considered to be positive growth. Right. And it was when, like with the, with that business, it was sort of like, when can I add the next truck, you know, to get more tubs done in a given year. And on the cleaning side of things, it's like, okay, each person went out and did cleaning and they had a route that they ran. Right. And so when can I add the next day to the route? And when I get four more days, can I hire somebody on a four day work week? And then, then we start that off again. And yeah, as the business owner, I'm, I'm digging in, I'm doing that stuff. I've cleaned more urinals than you could ever imagine, Michelle, you know, uh, it's unbelievable. The high aspirations that entrepreneurs yeah, have. <laughs> yep. But you know what? Um, that's what we did. Right. And, you know, you know until the job gets we done. cleaned bathrooms like that mm -hmm. was our specialty. We were specialty bathroom service and that's what we did. And the reason we made money doing that is because nobody else did it well and nobody else wanted to do it. So they paid us to. Nice. So, right? well, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's kind of the key to it is finding the problems that other people don't mm -hmm. want to and creating those opportunities in there. So would you say that you just ran off of um, kind of heart and passion on on it or was did you get help how did how did the whole thing yeah. transpire in in the early years yeah i did uh and you know i was very lucky to have some great mentors along the way both in family and outside of family that helped me with my entrepreneurial sort of you know i had people to go to to talk to and part of at the, in those early years of being involved with the franchise, we had some franchise groups that we could talk to and stuff like that. Um, we I haven't owned franchises in years, but uh, from that perspective, you know, it was good to have a community around us that we could banter around different ideas and all that sort of stuff. And I strongly recommend to anybody listening here to put yourself into some of those groups, whatever they may be, local chamber of commerce, or you know, uh, if you do have a industry group, an association group. I mean, as a footwear retailer, I actually work on both sides. It's really interesting with the National Shoe Retailers Association. I'm a I'm a participant as a shoe store owner, but I'm also a coach and on stage and all that other stuff as a as a coach, right? So it's it's interesting, but those some of those sort of association type things and mastermind groups and everything are some of the best ways to get ahead the quickest and and learn from people who have been there done that. So we're really really like uh, that sort of uh, way of 
you know, uh, aspiring to grow and, and kind of affiliate with those that are doing better than you. And it's like, hmm, how did you get there? And ask them the questions because most of those people that came before you want you to succeed and they will give up the information because they don't want you to go through the pains that they went through. Right. And so those kind of things really, I, I think, um, helped me along the way, Michelle. I love that. And I think a lot of people underestimate that they think that it's a cutthroat world and people just kind of get my, and I, that's not been my experience of entrepreneurs. It's like, Hey, <laughs> come do it this way. It's way easier. Come over here. <laughs> Swim so faster. <laughs> a few years ago, I set up um, a, like during COVID when everybody here in Ontario, anyway, we were all closed for like 20 weeks. And I think you're in Alberta, aren't you? Yep. I'm in Calgary. Out in Alberta, you guys were only closed for like two weeks or something like that. It wasn't as, as Feels like three years. <laughs> Yeah, but it wasn't that long, right? And in Ontario, we were closed a long time uh, at th three different periods, you know, six weeks, six weeks, and eight weeks. And from those perspectives, I put together a group of independent retailers who also sold shoes. Most of them are my immediate competitors, like the closest mm -hmm. people to me. I put together a group and we all sat, sat around talking about you know, how we're going to get through this and what we're going to do, because ultimately the industry needs to survive, not just our individual stores. So, you know, that kind of stuff, how, and we still meet COVID's long gone, thankfully, nice. but uh, from, at least from a store closure perspective and um, you know, we, we still meet because there was so much power involved in those discussions that we get together and have conversations and, and are really quite open with each other, even though we're direct competitors. Nice. I love that. So what do you yeah. see as some of the mistakes that entrepreneurs are making that they're not, they're not creating that viable business and they're having to shut down their doors? There's a lot. I mean, Obviously. usually I, I have, I have a, a structure um, that mm -hmm. I coach a lot too, which is called the five P's. And it's usually got to do with one of those five P's. One, um, the first, well, I'll give you the five P's. Yep. Uh, one is understand your promise, mm -hmm. align your products, process, and people to that promise so that you can have the right amount of profit. And don't sort of um, assume that profit means cash flow because <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, and, and anybody who's listening, if you, if you don't know the difference between profit and cash flow, that should be one of your very first things that you look into today as an actionable takeaway is because you need cash flow, not necessarily profit, especially at the early parts of the business. It's like, you, yeah, you want to get to profit for sure. But, um, but ultimately if you don't have cash flow, that's cash flow is the killer of most small businesses out there. Mm -hmm. And they can be profitable, but they don't have actually cash in the bank. And that's the problem, right? They can't yeah. get lines of credit and variety of different things. But so anyway, at the end of the day, it really revolves around to understanding your promise. And through COVID and through the last few years, there's so much change. Things are changing more rapidly than ever. And if your promise is outdated, which has happened a lot lately, because things are changing all around you. You have to go back and revisit your promise. And I, you know, people say, well, isn't your promise your mission statement and stuff like that? Well, I kind of frame them up differently. Mm -hmm. To me, a promise, well, to me, a mission statement and a vision statement are more internal mm -hmm. and a promise is more external. It's the promise you're making to your clients, not to you and yourself and your business and your team and all that other stuff, which is more like, here's our mission or this is what we're going to do. And here, here's our vision, you know, but but the promise is, what am I promising my client? So if I flip it back into Shootopia, what's my promise to our clients? My promise to our clients is four words, look great and feel fantastic. 
So as you leave our doors, we should have done everything in our power to get you to those four words, right? And I've even narrowed it down even a little bit deeper to nine letters, which is ooh, ah, and aha, which means when you look in the mirror, you've got your shoes on, you look in the mirror and you're like, Hmm, I look pretty good, right? And you close your eyes and you're standing in the shoes and you're like, ah, those feel fantastic. If I can get you to those four words, we've done our job, right? Okay. And the, the next step, the aha one is, wow, I finally found a pair that actually looks great and feels fantastic. I love Shootopia. I'm coming back here for my next pair. Right. So this is the idea of what can you do to build your promise and what are all the steps and the structures and the process around that to get your client to that promise. Right. Mm -hmm. And do your products align with that process? Do your art with that promise? Do your processes align with that? Do your people align with that? Because some people, you know, some people don't care if they look good. I'm going to the ball and I need, uh, or uh, I'm going, I don't care if they feel good. I'm going to the ball and I need a six inch pair of pumps. And that's just the way it is. Well, we don't carry six inch pumps because generally they don't feel so good. It doesn't align with the kind of business that we have. Right. right. So, um, you know, Make sure that those things align. And then people portion, the people portion, because we could talk all day just about five Ps, but the people portion, you break down into three different steps. And those are your ideal customer, which as a marketer you get, I'm sure. But here are the other two that a lot of people don't really look into, which is your ideal teammates that help deliver your promise and your ideal outsource suppliers, anybody else that's part of the mechanism that helps you deliver that promise, are they the right people? So once you get all those in alignment and you really hone that stuff, then the profit starts coming because everybody's on board. Everybody gets it. Your team gets it. Your suppliers get it. Your clients get it. The products are right. The promise is being delivered the way it's promised. Things happen. It takes a while to get there though. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. It does. Cause I think there's, there's a, a step where the business owners have this dream, this idea that they're going to bring to market. And oftentimes they do what I call mirror marketing, whereby they're selling to themselves. They're going, I love this. And this is what I love about my product. And it's like, oh, it's awesome, but that might not be what they want out of it. So how do you, how do you work around that? And how do you help them to find that promise that, that fits for them? Yeah. Well, really it's, um, you know, Again, we could do a half day session on promise, but the, <laughs> the quick and easy on promise is um, know what your like, if you know the right person, if you know your ideal client and you've done your homework there, you know what their problem is, right? So understand what the problem is that your client, your ideal client has. What are your unique steps that are going to take you through or take them through from the problem that they have to live a better life? Because everybody buys a better life, Michelle. I mean, that's what we buy when we put our dollars down. We buy a better life. It's like I have a if I spend this money, am I going to have a better future? Doesn't matter if it's, you know, a present for your kid or if it's a new car or if it's a trip away, if if it's marketing services that I think are going to actually get more business for me, if it like if it's coaching that's going to help me propel through myself through to a better life, like all of these different things you're always buying with the thought that my life is going to be better in the future. And what is your unique process 
and product or service to deliver that to them, making sure that your promise is taking them there, right? And so that's essentially the the rhythm and sort of the methodology that we go through. And from that perspective, what do you do? Well, you got to test some of this stuff, right? You got, I mean, you test, and one of my coaches along the way, his name's Dan Sullivan from uh, Strategic okay. Coach. Yep. Yeah. So uh, Dan says, test it on the check writer. <laughs> I love that. Test it on the check right. writer. Don't like, ever test it on your family and friends that are never going to buy. No. <laughs> Will they buy? Like, are they ready to write the check? And so I love that little phrase from Dan. And he's got a lot of them, by the way. But uh, but but test it on the check writer. And if they don't pay, it's not very good. Absolutely. You got to either tweak it to make it better so that that same customer is going to pay because that alignment isn't there. Or you have to look for a different customer who will pay because that person doesn't want to. So there's so many directions I could take this because I'm going, oh, so how do they find the right one? And and do you have a methodology? Because I know how I explain to people how to find them right, their niche market, but how do you help them to find out who is the, the check writer? Because who people market to more often than not, I have found is not the person who wants to buy the thing. So how do you find the one that wants to buy the thing? I, I mean, it really depends on the business. Like I work with so many different types of businesses. Uh, it's, I mean, it's really, really different. Uh, but usually it revolves around, you know, what the offering is and mm -hmm. trying to make the alignment there because, you know, somebody, somebody who sells kitchens um, could sell Ikea built kitchens and install them or could sell $450,000 kitchen. I mean, it's an entirely different business. It's, they they both sell kitchens. Yep. But so, I mean, until, until when I'm talking with somebody, understanding their business a little bit as to what they actually provide is, is the way we're going to have to go at that first before I can understand what kind of things we can do from, from that side of things. Uh, if they're starting out new, Mm -hmm. then, uh, and I don't work with a lot of uh, people who have just started out. That's just kind of not my cup of tea. I'm, I'm more working with people who have been at it for a while and have, are hitting sort of ceilings and want to break through. Uh, but, uh, from, from that side of things, it's, it's, it's really about what do you want to do as a business owner? Where do you think you have the most ability to take these people through the transition? And a lot of times it has to do with your own transitions that you've gone through. And it's like, I, I've, been, I've lived this. So, I can now um, either, you know, take somebody else through. I know how to build kitchens. I know how to build a house. I know how to fix a car or whatever the case is. And, uh, or I know how to do the marketing because I've had to do it for myself. And then I've, you know, done it for a few other people. And now I'm taking it a long way. Um, but ultimately it really revolves around what's the power of the capabilities of the team. If, if there's a team involved, what's the capabilities of the team? Um, show me some examples of what you've been able to do. Show me some wins and let's see how we can get more of those. And I'll, I'll use one example um, of a coach session that I had earlier today. And this particular business, um, they make musical instruments um, and they make high-end musical instruments and um, really cool entrepreneur. Um, anyway, I won't get into it too much, but, but ultimately as he's transitioning from being a um, let's call it a mid-level in some of this stuff, mid-level supplier to being a high-level supplier, it's a different client. Right. Right. And they're okay to pay for what they want. It's they're not, it's it's this idea of, you know, wanting versus needing. 
And I love that sort of framework in marketing too. Do I need it or do I want it? Because that's a very different mindset too. Absolutely. Even <laughs> back to our shoe stores. I mean, we're very fortunate in Canada that there's not a whole lot of people that you know need shoes because they can't afford shoes. Um, but most of our clients in our stores are fairly well-to-do. And you know they come into our shoe stores and they're like, I want that. So we sell more on a want base than a need base. Sometimes we sell on a need base, but there's different frameworks around that too, right? And um, so it's all part of the process. It's all part of the marketing and it's all part of sort of your your during unit of when somebody's has opened the door to either your website or open the door to your uh, retail store or to your practice. If you're, um, you know, a dentist or an osteo or any of that sort of stuff, like what are you doing to take them through that journey? It's all, it's all part of it. Nice. Love it. So let's talk about change for a little bit, because I think that's also one of the areas that people go, Oh, but we've, we've, We've always had this messaging. We've always had uh -huh. this clientele. <laughs> no, oh my God. You know, those established businesses and you're like, mm. <laughs> how, how do you kind of start with wrapping people's idea around it's okay to change and, and whatever else might go on with that. So um, just because we're, we're talking all sorts of different businesses, uh, but I'll, I'll flip it back into Shootopia. Mm -hmm. um, you know, with the thought that every shoe store should have kids shoes. We don't sell kids shoes at Utopia. We have sold kids shoes at Utopia. Why don't we anymore? Well, because the margins aren't there. The turn isn't there. The gross volume isn't there. The gross profit isn't there. I mean, it was the least, like when you take a look at all the products and, and we'll go back to that second P, your products, you take a look at your products and the offering that you have that's a very, the words that you said are very scary. We've always done it that way. It's very scary. And, and if you've always done, if you, if you catch yourself, well, we've always done it that way. When was the last time you actually looked to see if it was any, if it was even relevant anymore? If you have, um, I'll, I'll say, you know, 600 pair of shoes in your stores, um, that, uh, you've always had that, that aisle of shoes because you've always had it, but you have only sold 40. What's the benefit? You're using up valuable space. Nobody who's coming to your store cares about that aisle. You just have it because you have it. I mean, those kind of things, you have to get into the weeds every now and then and dig down in to the deepness of stuff and look at the profitability and find out from your customer, your check writer, there's, there's that old Dan Sullivan thing. They weren't writing the checks for kids shoes at our stores anymore. So we let them go. And when we let them go, what happens? We can offer a whole lot more stuff that my actual ideal client, that person really wants more. And I'm going to make more money from that space. And, and we're going to satisfy the person that actually is coming in our store more. We're going to be actually be a better vendor for them. And they're probably going to be more loyal to us. Just because I didn't do what I'm supposed to do, which is have kids shoes in my independent store in a small town. <laughs> Excellent. Love it. So give us an example of another Cinderella story of one of your clients that you've worked with and kind of the chaos that they were going through and yeah. the Nirvana. There's been a lot. Afterwards. There's been a lot. And I, I think, you know, a lot of small business owners, um, well, they, they don't have 
control of their time, Michelle. Mm. It's a big one, you know, and that's after, after that, that startup phase that I was telling you, I don't do a whole lot of work with startups, but that startup phase is, is sort of like, you're all in. It's like, I'm working 60 hours a week. I'm working 80 hours a week. I'm making every decision in my business. I'm doing all of this stuff and I'm trying to run my family and help, help my, you know, kids go, go to hockey and all this stuff. And it's like, you cannot stop. You cannot slow down. And we habitually create this life for ourselves. And it's hard to come down off of that. It's hard to start letting, like, even if, if your business is starting to do better, it's hard to come down from that. It's hard to start releasing some of those decision-making capabilities because you've always had to do it over that startup period. And we build these habits of saying, well, nobody can do it as well as I can. You're always going to do it if you don't release some of those things. So I work a lot with accountability and a lot with setting up process and assigning and aligning accountability within their teams and hiring those right people and setting up the frameworks to allow that to happen so that things happen. And I've got a line that I use a lot and it's, it's decisions, decisions should be made at the lowest possible level of your organization. And if they aren't, you got some work to do. So if people are bypassing and going up the chain of command to get decisions done, that's a problem. It's a great that's way of looking you, at it. It usually has to do with the process isn't right so that the person can make the decision mm-hmm. or they don't have the power to make the decision, which means they might have, and that's why I love uh, Gina Wickman's book called Traction. And he first introduced to me, um, the a concept around an accountability chart instead of an organizational chart. And I continue to use that language because I love the idea. An organizational chart to me really is like, okay, well, you are the assistant manager. Well, what does that mean? People like their titles. I'm mm-hmm. entitled to my title, but, <laughs> but, but as a small business owner, what does it mean? Like I need accountability. Mm-hmm. Tell me what you decisions you make as an assistant manager what have we assigned and how are you making those and can I, as the owner can i dis- depend on you to make those decisions in the right context every time mm-hmm. and if i can the process is right the accountability is right and you don't need to ask me just go ahead and make the decision nice and i, I think it is an evolution in business that is becoming slightly more um of an option, but it's certainly not mainstream yet. And I would yeah. love to see it when it becomes mainstream. For me, I, I couldn't be talking to you right now if I didn't have a management structure in place that ran my stores on their own. Right. I would be fitting somebody right now. Right. So I spend about somewhere in the vicinity this week, two days a week, because I actually went to a trade show and we did some buying. And then I did my normal one day a week where I have my meetings and kind of align some stuff for Shootopia. But, um, but ultimately I spend give or take a day a week doing Shootopia and four days a week doing this sort of stuff with simplifying entrepreneurship. Cause I, I'm really passionate about helping other people do the same sort of thing. And, you know, from that side of things, it's really just all around this idea and, if, if one of my managers leaves, what's going to happen? I'm going to get dragged back down. I'll be doing three days or four days a week until I get somebody else in place, the right people, right? The right mm-hmm. person in place to take that on and assign them accountability and feel comfortable. I'm still the business owner. Mm-hmm. So the buck does stop here. But ultimately, 
I mean, I don't want to have to do that all the time. And so um, I'll use another prime example. You were asking for another um, success story. I'll give you a success story, which has tragedy in it. Um, my father passed away last year, uh-huh. Okay, um, which was tough. And he had cancer and we knew he was going to pass. Um, but at the same time, if I didn't have my shoe stores running on rails, I would not have been able to go back, which is five hours away from where I live now, back to see my parents pretty much every month for three to five days. I probably got to spend somewhere in the vicinity of 30 or so days with my dad last year before he passed and he lives five hours away and um, went every month and spent some time with mom, spent some time with dad, you know, got through their issues as you would expect were going on and, you know, um, got them acclimatized and helped where I could help and all that sort of stuff because relationships are a really big thing for me. Nice. And if my business, if I have to work 70 hours a week in my business, I can't do that. Right. So that was, that was a big win for me was the fact that maybe I didn't hit some of the sales numbers I wanted to last year and stuff. When maybe I started at this time of year, we're recording early January. It's like, you're, you're getting your together, all your stuff. Right. But, um, but I had bigger things that happened last year, bigger than any business I will ever do. And I was able to be there as much as I could be there because I had my business running this way. Nice. Love it. Love it. Love it. So I know our listeners are going to want more from you. How do they start their journey with you? Easiest way is just go to simplifyingentrepreneurship.com. I know it's a long one, but uh, simplifyingentrepreneurship.com. Or if you if you Google that, uh, you will come up with me and a variety of other things around simplifying entrepreneurship. And I've got a really good assessment on the site, which is when you go to the site, you just click, take the assessment. It's you'll, you won't miss it. It's there. Uh, and you know, when you take that assessment, um, it takes about 10 minutes or so, and it really is a good assessment. I like green lights, red lights kind of things. So it gives you all of the green lights on, on your business, what you're really doing well. You know, a lot of the stuff we talked about today, the stuff you're doing really well. And it also gives you a few red lights and the red lights are the things that as you look ahead in the future, it's like, you know what? I know I'm kind of already need some help here, but it kind of slaps you in the face a little bit because sometimes we need that as business owners. Nobody else is doing it. So uh, it's like, hey, you got to you got to actually put some effort in here. And this is the area you need to work on. So it's a great place to start. And whether you use uh, a coach to do that or whether you start reading books or listening to podcasts or whatever it is to make the changes that you need to make to make this year your best year ever, I think it's a good place to start. I love it. Love it, love it. So we will have, of course, all of Peter's links in the show notes. Just scroll down. You'll find all of those. So I get to ask you at this point, what point in life did you know that you were a special kind of crazy enough to think that you could become an entrepreneur? Um, probably about 12. Cool. <laughs> I, I started my first little business at that time uh, with my mom's help. And, uh, and, you know, I took business school. I I've always had little businesses running. And like I said, after having worked for somebody for about six months after university, I'm like, no, nah, this just isn't for me. So I, I consider myself virtually unemployable these days because I'm a lifelong <laughs> entrepreneur. Cool. What did you start with your mom? Uh, we crafts doing crafts. Huh? 
my mom used to sell like pine cone wreaths and all that sort of stuff to craft stores. And she had me making little, um, these little teasel hedgehog things on bark. And I'd sit down at the craft table, watch, you know, hockey night in Canada. And I'm putting together these teasel things. And I, at the time, I mean, we're talking here in mid eighties, uh, I'd be selling, I, I could make about four of these an hour and sell them for three bucks each. And I was making 12 bucks an hour as a 13, 14 year old kid. Um, making crafts. And my mom would take me along with her as she was going to the different various stores. And, and she'd say, Hey, my son's got this craft. And would you like to buy some? And Oh yeah, I'll take a dozen or I'll take 10 or whatever. So I, I sort of, yeah, mom, I made 60 bucks today. And yeah. <laughs> so it was kind of, it was fun. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. Yeah. So cute. Yeah. You've been absolutely awesome today. Thank you. Any last words for our peeps? Well, I think, um, Listen to Michelle's podcasts, listen to the people that she interviews, listens to what she has to say. All of that is great. But unless you take action this year, nothing's going to change. So think about what you want to change and how you're going to change it and take action starting soon as you, um, you know, finish listening to this podcast. Love it. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. And I know how valuable it is. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Make it a great day. Awesome. Peeps, thank you for being here with us today. Be sure to share the episode with your friends, subscribe, and be here next week when we have more awesome and amazing guests. Thank you for listening to 7 to 8. If you're interested in upping your speaking game, be sure to connect with our guests with the links in the show notes and connect with me to see how we can help you get your tech done for you and help your speaking dreams come true.